It's Monday the 21st of September 2020. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. Now, instead of Studio 3, this week I find myself in the very pleasant surroundings of a cafe. And sitting next to me is Nicole Lee Mosti, Project Manager for Community Development, working with the Social Cohesion Projects of the city of Reykjavik, Chairperson of Women in Iceland, a prominent equality and democracy activist, who was also the first person of foreign origin directly elected to Althinki. Welcome to you. Thanks. Great to be with you, Alex. Second time on the show, I think. Yep. Can't wait for the third. <laughs> wait and see. No, seriously. <laughs> now, um, this week it would probably be a dereliction of duty if we didn't talk about the spike in new COVID-19 cases in Iceland um, and the actions being taken to try and slow what is now being called the third wave down. Iceland Air completed its delayed stock offering and found itself oversubscribed. Um, Despite no investment from two of the country's biggest pension funds, the airline nevertheless felt comfortable rejecting a large investment offer from Michelle Ballerin for a quarter of the company. Immigration and asylum remain in the spotlight as the Egyptian family scheduled for deportation last week has gone into hiding. With officers arrived to escort them to the airport, they were nowhere to be found. Their lawyer is still fighting to keep them here. And formal charges have finally been brought in the fatal house fire case that caused outrage this summer. The man is accused of setting fire to the house and killing three people. So, where would you like to begin? Uh, where should we begin? It's all so light. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> it's, um, should we start with Iceland Air? Sure, yeah. Um, I guess it's the lightest of all of it. <laughs> it was going into this, first of all, they, they'd said they wanted to get, I think it was 22 billion kroners right. from new investors. Uh, and going into it, they weren't sure. It got delayed several times, and then they weren't sure whether they'd get the money or not. In the end, they beat their target. Yeah, 85% uh, more demand than uh, supply. <laughs> that doesn't happen in a normal day, but I guess when you're selling stocks for a kroner, mm. then, then you'll have that. And also, I think that just uh, a lot of people understood the uh, national interest. I mean, having an airline really matters to us. It, it, it does matter. Um, I, I was really pleased to see that there were 1,000 employees who were able to get stocks because that was one of the things that they had been sort of discussed in the beginning before everything became incredibly political and and whatnot. So that's really nice to see that. Uh, regarding uh, Michelle, <laughs> Michelle, I, I have a feeling that, uh, I mean, we really haven't seen what she was doing with WOW. I mean, we were supposed to have had an airline and it looks to me like it's more cargo. I think that they probably made the right decision for I mean, we don't know what was in her offer other than we've heard a, you know, a dollar amount. So I, I just want to believe that they made the right decision. And it sounds like there's a lot more locals that have interest in it, which is probably a good thing for now. Because even though it was a, maybe that wasn't a high price for people, there's huge risk. It's not, no one's flying anywhere. <laughs> and uh, there was research put out. I think it was CDC had findings that there were like 11,000 cases that they could directly tie into flying. So... It's just a, a tough time to start again. But as you say, complete ne- completely necessary because the company is kind of teetering at the moment. This isn't a, a golden investment opportunity, but a, a lot of people are taking it on anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's not just about, I mean, when you look at Iceland, it's, it's not just about us being able to go to Spain or me to go home to America. It's about um, cargo. Iceland Air does a lot of cargo, a lot of our fish industry and whatnot. They rely on what, you know, those air routes. So it's really important that we keep it moving. Um, 
you know, we can discuss the whether or not the government and, and everything with that. I, I wish I knew more about what those loans, what they meant for us, for the public, and our money that's being invested in. I really do, but I, I just want to believe that we have to trust that this is what we had to do, and that it, it is directly tied into our economy, not just tourism, but like I said, the fishing industry and otherwise. And just access to the country, that affects all industries, I think. People need to get in and out for meetings and to, to make deals and whatever, yeah. Um, you mentioned the state-backed guarantee. That's clearly a factor in making this attractive to investors, isn't it? Oh, it wouldn't have happened without it. It wouldn't have happened without it. And there's a reason that it happened very quickly after the, after it went through Parliament. And But, you know, we can't, we, we can't look at it as if it's a... It's happening everywhere. The United States, they're bailing out. Other countries are doing the same thing. It's just, it's what we have to do. I think it's a responsibility that all governments have to take on right now. It, it is also, it's a matter of public safety. I mean, we do know that we, while we have a good healthcare system, there are some times that we need to get people to better healthcare systems. And, and, and I mean, just emergency situations. We need to be able to get out of the country. So I, I just hope everything goes well for the investors, all 11,000 of them. <laughs> And for us, I mean, who, I guess, I guess you could say you and I as taxpayers, we're now investors as well. So I hope it goes well for us. Mm. 11,000 is a, is a lot of people. Do we have any, or do you know, because I haven't read up on it enough just yet, um, what kind of percentage of those, because they were open to foreign investors as well. Was there much interest overseas, do you know? I no idea. I, I mean, obviously Michelle Ballerin. Yeah, yeah, she wanted it. I, I, honestly, I, I have not had my nose completely on this to look into it. I, I know that when, when everything gets it's public and it's open, it'll be interesting to read You know who they were. Uh, again, I'll say I'm really glad that there were employees who, who got in on it because they really got the, when everything got bad, it was really ugly for them, so... And there can't be that many more than a thousand of them left, so that's a pretty high percentage of people that chose to take part in it that are working there. Right. I mean, I guess it probably says something about, uh, you know, the company they work for. They were willing to invest in them and, and try to, you know, keep them running. So, so let's just keep our fingers crossed that this is good for Iceland. What's good for Iceland there is good for Iceland. I don't know. <laughs> now... Two of the biggest insurance, uh, sorry, uh, pension funds didn't take part. They m assessed the situation and decided it wasn't worth the risk for them. Right. Um, but most of the other ones did. Mm -hmm. What sort of... Clearly, it was a bit of a 60-40 decision for everyone involved. Oh. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the risk, uh, it, it starts with the fact, you know, their, the shares were one kroner. So you say, oh, that's not much of a risk, but it is due to the fact that we just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I've read things where they say the tourists, you know, the airline industry and tourism and everything around it isn't going to kick off until 2024. And that's just a projection. We see this wave, it's getting bigger and, and it's getting bigger in Europe and, and Lord only knows what's going to happen in the United States after November. <laughs> We're smack between the two of them. So you know, that's the risk. There's so many unknowns. Just quickly on Michelle before we move on. Um, I imagine there might have been some personality issues in there with people within the airline not just playing out not wanting her involved. Um, but on a more pragmatic level, of course, her company bought the Wow Air branding. Um, sure, that isn't an airline right now, but they hope it will be. Conflict of interest possibly avoided there? 
I'm sure that that's probably one a very big factor in it. I'm sure it's a very, very big factor in it. And then, I mean, there are just other things we don't know about her, her, her background. And I'm sure that they did a thorough check <laughs> regarding her background having to do with, you know, uh, working with the military and, and whatnot, that maybe that's just something that Iceland Air, at this point, for PR, they just didn't need it. So conflict of interest, PR, they had enough to choose from. They didn't need it. Maybe the situation would have been different had they genuinely needed her funding. So I'm sure that they made the right decision. I hope so. <laughs> genuinely surprising that two of the big funds didn't take part and they still had enough wriggle room to pick and choose. I think that that's, says something that's good. I'm sure there was something a little political <laughs> regarding that. Uh, I mean, there were some pretty high words from one of those uh, pension funds well before the Utbold and that, so I'm sure that they just couldn't go back on it. Okay, should we move on? Let's, <laughs> Let's move on. How, how do you like the coronavirus? <laughs> how do I like it? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, like everybody, I hate it. Um, I, I don't. I don't really know what to say. You know, I, you, you go back and forth between, you know, okay, I'm going to be responsible and, and do what's right, to being afraid, to being like, come on, let's get a vaccination, let's get on with our lives. Um, it's very daunting. It's um, you know, having been in the United States from January to June, um, I, I do understand the implications and, and was so proud to see everything that they were doing here in Iceland. I was so happy that my, my children and my husband were here safe while I was, you know, worried about getting going out on the streets, not knowing, uh, number one, uh, who had it because the testing was so horrible and, and not knowing actually the, uh, how do you want to say it? I mean, it's such a, it's been so polarized in so many places. You have maskers and not maskers and people who believe in it and people who don't believe in it, but it's such a dangerous thing. It's such a dangerous thing and it's so unexplained. You don't, you don't know if you're going to be the person who's going to get really, really sick or if you're going to be the person who's going to get through with flu-like symptoms and then maybe find out later you have repercussions. Um, or maybe be a super spreader and not know you had it at all. Exactly, exactly. That's that's another thing. That's one of the reasons that I sat longer in America than I wanted to. I was really concerned about taking part in that in that link, coming all the way from there, where we knew that there were where there was a lot that nobody knew about. If I had gotten it to fly across the country and and to Iceland, where everything was smooth, so, and it was really difficult to get a test. But of course things not so smooth now. Uh, they're calling this now the third wave. Um, so the second wave apparently finished a week or so ago. Um, a week or so ago. <laughs> you know, the thing, I, I have to be honest, when I came back in June, I was, I mean, I was, everything was high alert in California. And I came in and I had my, I have like a little emergency pack. I have my little mask right here with me now my hand sanitizer and all of that. And I came in and I had gone into a store and, I, and there was, you know, a man who was right up against me. And I was like, oh, get away. And there were no lines when I went to the register. I was, I was kind of in like a state of shock. Well, you know, no, it can't be that good here. People were just, you know, they say in Iceland, they were just sleeping on it. But you knew it was out there. I mean, as soon as the airline started up or whatever, it was just going to come back. And here it is. And the thing is, it's like you said, you know, the second wave went away just a couple of week a week ago. It didn't go away. It just, you know, it was hiding under while we forgot to be careful. 
I sat in a restaurant with my son, at a, and we were, you know, in our table, and we were doing our distancing, and there came a group of 20 young people in, and they sat down right next to us. And they sat down, you know, shoulder to shoulder. They were sharing food, and they were all of this, and I just... I just said to my son, I just said, oh, my God, that's a lot of corona going on there. And he laughed at me, and I said, let's move. Mm. <laughs> and now you see, 75 cases yesterday. So it, it does have to do with that, that we just, you can't. You can't not be responsible. Mm. It's not just about you. It's about the next guy. So I, Yeah, 75 cases, I think, was Friday. And right. then Saturday's yeah. amount was 38, right. yeah, which is in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Thought over goodness and now says, hopefully, it's passed the worst of it and today will be lower again obviously we don't know oh we do let's have a look it's gone 11 o'clock now let's see what happened yesterday oh i don't have internet <laughs> anyway so um we've got harsher restrictions to a certain degree uh, for example universities and further education colleges today now they've got a mask rule for the first time uh, i bet the students are loving that Oh, I'm sure they love it. I'm sure they love it. But and I'm sure, you know, we're talking about people in university. They'll be intelligent. They'll do what's right. The thing, the thing that worries me, okay, okay, well, it'll start to go down. But each time there's been such a high number who are not quarantining. That's the thing that concerns me. So, you know, I, I literally, when I, when I said, you know, 38, not, not in quarantine, I say, okay, well, does that mean there's going to be 60 tomorrow? <laughs> Well, what does and it that could mean? be. Yeah. But, but the thing is, I mean, it's wonderful how responsible we are about it here in Iceland, that they track it, they, they, everyone, I mean, I've seen friends who, who've got it now, who put out a post, you know, if you were around me on the 11th or the 12th, I was here, I got it, uh, please go get checked. So someone very close to me just got a message yesterday that they needed to go and get checked because of somewhere where they'd exercised, someone had gotten it. So that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And the, fake, and the fact that we can go and we can get a check, we don't have to pay for it. Um, that, 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 that is something that's, I mean, in America, that's not a guarantee. I don't know how it is in England, but... No, I, I, I did spend a week there this summer and it was very different to here. Uh, they, for example, they, they make you write down your address and phone number before you enter any bar or cafe, okay. that sort of thing. But a lot of people are making up addresses and phone numbers and putting Donald Trump or something. <laughs> Wonderful. Because there is this, like you said, this tiredness of it. People are just done with it so much. And, and some people are acting out as a result. Exactly, acting out and, and just, you know, I'm going to reclaim my freedom. I mean, and if you look to the United States, it's just, it's just crazy town. Uh, people just, it's, it's not just about reclaiming freedom, it's about trying to make a statement about the importance of it, but I mean, this is a virus that knows no borders, it knows no discrimination, it's, you know, it doesn't care if you like Trump or Biden, it doesn't care if you live in Iceland or Austria, it's, it's out there and we're all susceptible. 30, by the way, was the answer yesterday, so okay. down again. Down again, woohoo! <laughs> Um, half of those, again, about half of them were in quarantine, which is, I, they, they do kind of look at that. If it's above or below half, it's good or bad. But, right. Yeah. So, because that big day, there was almost none of them were in quarantine already, right. which was very worrying. Very, very worrying. And that, that's, that's the first thing I do. I see the number and then I look to quarantine and then, and then I decide whether I'm worried <laughs> with how I feel. If it's at least half or, or if it's more than half that were in quarantine, then I'm, I feel much better about it because I know. But the fact that it's going down, that means that the system that they've built by, by tracking and 
and testing, that means that they will, they'll, they'll get it again. They'll take care of it. And, and the fact that they're being responsible, I see that they also decided to um, close bars and restaurants again, extend that for a little while. I mean, you know, go to the wine store and, and be home, be safe. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing, yeah, uh, they have, as you say, they've extended that, it was going to be four days until today, uh, and now it's going to run for the rest of this week, and then there's the mask thing in the schools. Those are the main things, I can't think of anything else big that's happened, they've, they haven't extended the, uh, the two metre rule again or anything like that, and hopefully they say they won't need to. You know, I, I look at all of that. People people talk about it as, as like uh, taking freedoms. No, I just, I look at it more of they're supporting us and being responsible because, you know, it's it's been a long ride and, and it's really easy. I mean, you know how it is. You, you Say you go on a diet and the first time you show up and, and there's a cheesecake, it's really easy. It's really easy to just be, but this is something that we can't not be responsible. Again, I say it's, it's not just about me. It's about me and you and the woman sitting at the next table. So that, that's all it is, these rules, these guidelines, they're there to help us to be responsible, not only for ourselves, but for others. Really important. And on the, even on the economic side, they talk about the, the damage that was done by the measures taken in the springtime and, and the kind of the accordion effect of fully open, fully closed, fully open, fully closed would be much more damaging than doing this, which is taking small steps when necessary. And, and reacting according to the data every day. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I know I keep talking about the United States, but of course it's, I mean, it's so ultra there. I wonder, like right now they talk about, uh, right now the economy is, is in horrible condition, but what happens when it starts to roll in on, you know, the ramifications on the health side of it and the cost of that on that nation? particularly, because the numbers are so high. I mean, I think the United States is like one-third of cases in the entire world, but they only, they're only like, what, what's the percentage, 4% <laughs> population of the world? So, I mean, it's insane. So what's going to happen? Like, right now, we're only looking at the eco economic, and that has a lot to do with, you know, the political side of it. But when we start to see what it's costing the United States for the health care then we'll think about it. Whereas here, was taking healthcare first. Uh, I think we'll see that we'll come out better in the end. Maybe there's a difference of philosophy there because it's private sector healthcare, health insurance in the US. Uh, but then, of course, the private sector has huge lobbying power there. So maybe that will come in stronger later mm. there. Oh, definitely. And I mean, it's like you, you look at now, you look at this election and you look at everything that's that's on the line. And one of the things is uh, Obamacare and pre-existing conditions. Um, newsflash, COVID is now a pre-existing condition. There's, you know, there will be people who will have issues for the rest of their life because of it. COVID is now one of those things that that's going to matter. Let's take away the health care. Uh, no. <laughs> we just, how, how many cases are in the United States now? Do you, I don't even, I know it was, wasn't it over 40 million or something like that? It was just, no, that's the world. That's the world. Sorry. <laughs> Out of control. But there are 200,000 deaths. So, I mean, that just says everything that has to say. Well, not, on that note, um, let's talk about immigration and um, political protection. Uh, especially in relation to this ongoing case with the Egyptian family. Six, four people, uh, sorry, four children and their parents. Uh, they've been here two years now and their case is ongoing. Um, horrible. Uh, the situation that we have here, it just, it needs to be fixed. 
It just, we need to seriously, genuinely look at it. Um, I mean, I understand there are things that we don't know about each individual case, and we, we shouldn't need to know them. They're not for us to know. But when you look at a family, a family who's made the choice to get up from their life and move forward somewhere else to make something better, not only you know, for the parents, but for the children and any children that come after that, we need to respect that. We need to re respect that uh, it's not easy. The government say that they have never, like, they, they would never give residence permits to just anyone that asks for them, which you can see that point of view, sure. Um, and it seems the main issue in this case is just how long it takes. And, and sometimes people just don't get the answers in time, and then by then they're starting to um, acclimatize, they perhaps learn Icelandic, they've got friends, they're going to school, and that makes it a lot more complicated. And the human rights issues, you know, out and out. Oh, of course, especially when it comes to children, especially when it comes to children, because, I mean, trauma, there are research that have to do, right now, those two children, or four children, excuse me, I, I cannot stop thinking about they're in hiding somewhere. You saw them in the media. I mean, just the fact that they were dragged into the media in this state of trauma, you can't erase that. You cannot erase it. Whatever trauma they had and the difficulties they had coming here, it has just been magnified. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? I think I mean, when I was in Parliament, we tried to bring together a bill where we would shorten the time always when it had to do with children, and that families with children would be handled with kid gloves. That, that Child Protective Services, psychologists, things like that, they would be a part of this. They would be a part of analyzing what's best for the child. And that's the thing. That's the thing that I think angers a lot of people, is they keep bringing up you know, the rights of the children. Well, the rights of the children is law in Iceland. So what law overrides what? If it's the rights of the children, it should be first. I mean, we wouldn't want to see any of our children put through trauma. We wouldn't. Say, say there's a natural disaster here and we're allowed to go to England for a while and we go there for two years and, okay, my children speak English, but they, they learn that. And then it's like, nope, you've got to go now. Iceland's not ready to take us back, but you've got to go. Would we want anyone to do that to our children? And, and, what, and the thing of it is, is also this... Um, this safe land. Egypt is, is deemed safe. You know, should we not debate that? I mean, it's just supposed to be their cases are, are individual, and, and when you look at the human rights, the refugee status and things like that, political persecution, they have every right to... What, what, tell me what is safe about Egypt right now. Is anyone not watching the news there? Are we not taking them for their word? I mean... I would guess more than half of the countries in the world are not safe for some people in them, even that most of them are safe generally for most of the population. If you're a political opponent, for example, or a certain minority group in many countries, you're at risk, and that should be taken into account. I mean, if we just set this particular case to the side, I mean, I find it difficult to talk about certain cases because I do know that when I was in Parliament that we would learn certain things. Like, for example, a lot of people who apply for asylum here, they're not actually coming here. They're on their way to Canada or on their way somewhere else, but they stop here and they apply here. And that, that's something that's factored in that we're, that's not discussed with you and I on the street. Um, but if we just look at it overall, there are almost 80 million people that are moving for economic reasons, for political reasons, for, because of a drought, a famine, um, you know, and we've got global warming, but this is not gonna get any better. We have to find another way. We have to find not only another way to 
deal with you know, the legal ramifications of accepting someone, but our society has to stop and think for a minute. Do we have space for someone else? How do we make space? How do we change things? And I, I'm really happy with the fact that um, the European Union is going to open up the Dublin regulation, that they're going to open it up and they're going to look at it in a different way. Because lots of countries, Iceland being one of them, we hide behind that. And we have to, as a globe, we can't have it that the United States has a leader who comes in and says, okay, I'm going to cut funding and I'm going to cut the number of people we accept by, I don't even know the percentage anymore. I looked at it a couple of months ago and I was just flabbergasted. Whereas Canada did the exact opposite. They opened it up. And they did it differently and better. That, yeah, it's the changing tides of political persuasion and whoever happens to be in power at the time. Um, and... No country is exempt from that. I think Iceland as well. They have tighter and looser immigration policies as the years go on. Where do you rank that at the moment? Is it in a tight stage at the moment in Iceland, would you say? It's in a struggle. It's in, I mean, it's, I guess in, in many ways, it's, it's, there, there have been immigration reforms, and we have accepted there's always more and more and more. I mean, when I moved here 20 years ago, but... Um, I think that there are still, I mean, for example, this, that a family could be here for two years and not have an answer or, you know, not have an answer or have just the complications of it. We just have to continue to make it better. We can't stop and say, okay, that's enough for now. We're better than we were 20 years ago because, like I said, it's just not going to let up. People are on the move. And, and I was really, la I was actually kind of pissed. I heard uh, the um, minister of... of uh, social welfare and uh, on a radio show and I've heard I've heard the discussion in different areas where they're talking about maybe open up different uh, immigration for uh, different type of immigrants you saw the nice family from America who came and they got their three month stay where he can work from here are we really going to do that are we really going to open up for a better a better immigrant when we have, I mean, right now, 40% uh, of all people unemployed are people of foreign origin who have been working here, have been paying taxes, who have kept this economy running through the service industry and tourism industry. And we're really going to say, let's find a channel for a better type. Someone can put a little more money in the box. And we're going to be sending people out in the middle of the night in flights who are politically persecuted. We really, really have to think about, you know, I mean... This is the world that we're going to live in and our children are going to inherit, and we have to do better for all of them. Good point. And one that you um, have support in from Rosa Pierpurinostotir, who um, set herself out of, that's not how you say it in English, is it? Who um, <laughs> resigned from the, from the left Green Party uh, last week over this very issue. Um, and of course, the left Green Party has been very supportive and progressive, on paper at least, of immigration issues for years now. And they're leading the government, but their justice ministry is in the hands of the Independence Party, which has been a little bit more conservative consistently. Um, any signs of conflict there? Obviously, in Rosa Björk's case. I can guarantee you that behind closed doors, this, this is a very sticky, ugly situation for those two parties. I mean, when I sat in Parliament, I sat with the Independence Party. And when we went out the door, I was in Iceland, throw the fetter. I was over exactly this issue. That it's obvious we need to make changes, and those changes need to reflect, you know, the way the world is going, and the, you know, just the need for humanity in this. And and uh, there, with the Independence Party, they'd like to have it clear, 
stiff, not make it easy. I mean, the debate in the parliament, in the halls of parliament that day, it had to do again with children. Uh, worry about setting a precedent. That's, that's what the issue is. The Independence Party and, and conservatives, they worry if they set a precedent that we allow too many in, that we're going to open up a floodgate. Uh, the words were actually used, human trafficking. If we were to offer a better way or an easier system or a, uh, you know, a quicker, faster route for children with families, that people would literally start human trafficking. They would come with children that weren't their own. You know, this, this was the, the portrait that was painted. We just can't, I mean, we have to believe that if we're the authority, that we're not going to get um, blindsided. We're not going to end up, you know, the biggest link in a human uh, trafficking because we do right. That's just, we can't believe that. And that, that's what most of the fear and the debate is about between conservative and the left. The left, we want to set a precedent based on humanity and giving and the understanding that we are in a situation where people are migrating for many reasons. And on the right, we don't want to set a precedent where we're going to open up and we can't handle it. And there are understandable points on both sides of that yes. argument, completely. I, completely. I mean, I, I do. I, I mean, I believe in the fact that we have to have rules. We can't just, you can't just have an open border and say, okay, let's see what happens. You have to. But when you see that again and again you end up in a situation where you have a family and children crying in the news, and now we, we have a family literally hidden, we have to look into what we can do better. And I don't think that it, it's just, and I think maybe one of the problems is we're looking at it just as it's a problem here with us. Maybe we should step up and take a part in the discussion that's going on in Europe about doing it better, be a part of a solution, a bigger solution, rather than just these are our borders, this is how we're going to do it. I mean, obviously we, you know, because of our international contracts, there are certain things that we do, but we can, you know, lead. We, we've done it in the um, gender equality, right? We were not afraid to do certain things right and, and set an example and stand up pride and say, you know, we're the best for gender equality in the world. Why don't we do that for immigration? I mean, no one's saying that we have to take more than our share. No one's saying we have to do more than we can. But Iceland has shown that we can, you know, drive up out of a, out of a horrible recession. Why not use immigration as a platform? We did. We just didn't admit it. If you look at the numbers and how they grew and how it grew around tourism, it had to do with the influx of immigrants. Why don't we just say it? Say it proud. Do it right. <laughs> Very, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not going to argue against that. Um, unfortunately, though, as much as I'm enjoying this talk and the coffee, um, I'm going to have to call time, I'm afraid. Um, the Week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the 28th of September, on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app, and your favorite podcast platform. Huge thanks to my guest today, Nicole Lee Mosti, and also to Lydia Gretesdottir for the sound and editing. Now, we finish today with an autumnal little number from 2018. This is Vintur ad Hösti by Sigurður uh, Guðmundsson and Sigurður Tólasius. Bye for now. Bye. Það er steinn, það er stígur, það er fáfarinn vegur. Það er visnandi stilkur, hann er einmannalegur. Það er sprunga í gleri, það er líf, það er sól. Það er nótt, það er flúti, það er þögn, það er skjól. Það er blómstrandi engi. Það er útskorinn viður. Kjölka og kerti. Það er lítill játtsmiður. Það er byggleður lúður. Það er gamall ósiður. Það er ráðgáta lífsins. Sem snýr upp eða niður. Það er gustandi gustur og gaulandi.
Sjónarhingur, 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 sjón